0: So this is something Kenji and I did completely by accident, but it definitely contributed to the rapidity of our growth. So what we did was whenever we got cash flow, whenever we saved up money from our jobs, whenever we got a tax savings and got a check back from the IRS, Whenever we 1031 exchanged or we did a cash out refi, we always put all of that money into our rental portfolio and we didn't live at all on the money coming in from our rental properties. And that allowed us to be able to use the power of compounding to grow our portfolio much faster than we would have if we were drawing money out of it along the
1: way. And we've been compounding our real estate portfolio for nine years now and we're continuing to do it. And so really the compounding effect is really gonna to start to snowball even, and it's, it's gonna help our portfolio grow even faster over time. Are you looking for opportunities to invest in passive real estate syndications? Join our exclusive community at Fastfire Capital, where we're dedicated to bringing doctors and other high-income earners priority access to the best opportunities to invest in large multifamily and other types of commercial properties. Not only that, by being part of the community, you'll get exclusive access to webinars and Q&As, where you'll be able to raise your passive investing IQ. To join our community, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash syndication. Again, that address is retiredmdcom forward slash syndication. When you daydream about your future, I'll bet it doesn't include you still working into your 60s and 70s. But unless you're actively taking steps to break the cycle of trading time for money, that's the future most of us face. Ignite Your Journey will lay out a roadmap to show you how to finally break that cycle and achieve true financial freedom and it will show you how to do it in just three to five years rather than the 20 or so it takes for traditional investments or saving in your retirement accounts. For more information, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash IYJ.
0: Hey, doctors building well. Did you hear that Kenji and I wrote a book called Life on Your Terms, which is a fable of two doctor couples, one who goes the traditional route, investing in their 401ks and working harder, and one that decides to invest in real estate. And what happens to those two couples over five years?
1: Our book is now out and available for purchase. Be sure to go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash book to pick up a copy today.
0: And write us a review because it's going to be so helpful to us to be able to get this book out into the larger community and be able to affect more change and impact more lives. And in case you didn't know, all the profits of our book go to our Doctors Legacy Building Foundation, which is all about helping underserved communities be able to get financial literacy. Thank you for all of your support.
1: Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Meiti and Kenji. Welcome
0: to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast. Today, we're going to be doing part two of 10 keys to scaling your rental property portfolio quickly. And if you didn't listen to part one, make sure to go back and listen to that first, and then you can head into part two. We wanted to start with a quick recap. So number one was believing it's possible for you to scale your portfolio. Number two was having a strong why and big goals. Number three key was using leverage. Number four was buying great deals. And number five was increasing your velocity money. With that, let's go right into six. So the sixth. Key to scaling your rental portfolio quickly is to recycle your money back into real estate investing. So, this is something Kenji and I did completely by accident, but it definitely contributed to the rapidity of our growth. So, what we did was whenever we got cash flow, whenever we saved up money from our jobs, whenever we got a tax savings and got a check back from the IRS, whenever we 1031 exchanged or we did a cash out refi, we always put all of that money into our rental portfolio and we didn't live at all on the money coming in from our rental properties. And that allowed us to be able to use the power of compounding to grow our portfolio much faster than we would have if we were drawing money out of it along the way.
1: And we've been compounding our real estate portfolio for nine years now, and we're continuing to do it. And so really, the compounding effect is really going to start to snowball even, and it's it's going to help our portfolio grow even faster over time.
0: Yeah, and we're going to talk about tax savings in a little bit, but that tax savings is quite significant if you can shelter part or all of your W-2 income, it can lead to you buying a property every single year. When we look at it, we, we look at it in terms of forced savings, you know, for many years we were putting so much more of our wealth back into buying more rental properties just because we wanted to get all those tax savings and that was part of really what led to it to be where it is today. Number seven is attracting the right partner or partners. So when we first started out, we had a lot of limiting beliefs about partners. I remember walking along probably in 2019, 2020 with a, with people who had worked with a lot of partners in their real estate portfolio and telling them, well, we just don't do that. Um, we really prefer to do this alone. We don't want to rely on partners. So many things can go wrong. And they had said to us at that point was like, well, this is really, you know, a challenge. It's holding you back. Like if you could look at partners as a really great way to grow, you could be a different place. And I think uh, later that year was actually our first opportunity where we had a student of ours who had a large property and they couldn't get a loan. They had tried so many different ways. And we were in the situation that they asked us if we wanted to be their partner. And it was the opportunity to be able to overcome some of those limiting beliefs.
1: Yeah, and uh, fast forward several years later, uh, the partnership went really well. Uh, we didn't have any issues, uh, and I think a lot of that was setting it up the right way up front. And one of the things that uh, we talk a lot about uh, is being an exceptional partner uh, and creating that exceptional partnership. And a lot of that is investing time up front, uh, talking to your partner, and. I would say the biggest part of this is actually showing up, right? You know, uh, the the key to finding an exceptional partner is all about selection, and that selection is selecting the part of you that shows up every, every day, not the part that you expect somebody else to show up as. What it is is really just a reflection of what how you show up every day. That's really the key to an exceptional partnership.
0: Yeah, it's, it actually all comes down to you. I think for a lot of people, and I know we felt this way for a long time, it was like, well, all about the partner and how what's the partner gonna do? Or are they gonna carry their load? Like we had so many expectations for our partner, but now we really look at ourselves first and we take responsibility for how the partnership is going. And it just creates a different level of generosity and a different level of self-reflection when you're looking at who you are showing up and not trying to go blame the partner if anything goes wrong. And Kenji alluded to this too. We really had a nice contract as well where we thought through a lot of the problems ahead of time. We talked through a lot of the problems ahead of time. And so if things happen, we already had a plan in place and we had already had an understanding. So I do think there's that upfront Preparation in terms of contracts. But as Kenji mentioned, really the real work is on yourself when you're entering into a partner.
1: And now that we've been able to overcome that limiting belief, we've actually entered into several more partnerships, including a uh, 160 unit uh, and then more recently a 40 unit. And so these partnerships have really allowed us to scale a lot more quickly because. We don't have to be the person going out and finding all the deals, for example. We don't have to be the person doing all the work, uh, the day-to-day work, right? We, we have partners and we work together. We set clear expectations about our role. Uh, and this has been a really great way for us to scale.
0: Now, a couple of tips when you're looking at a partner, at a potential partner, is you may wanna start out analyzing deals together and see how they show up and see how they show up over time. See how they're willing to handle the work or how you guys split it, how you work together. And then we look for people who are independent when we're looking for our partners, because if they're independent and whole, they already have a baseline knowledge. They're not coming from a space of lack and they're looking for us to make up for some of their lack. Then we have the opportunity to be interdependent, which is we can work in our zones of brilliance. We can work in what we're really good at, but we aren't going to work in that area because we totally lack in understanding in a basic other area. So we can still be great thought partners when the other person maybe has a challenge or something that they're working on that they need our advice on we can actually work together to be able to problem solve because we actually understand what they're doing
1: i think the biggest problem with uh, working with somebody who is deficient in a particular area and they're looking to you to fill that void the, the, the issue is that they tend to abdicate responsibility. They don't actually work on themselves. They don't actually work to develop that part of themselves. And, uh, and, and so if you do find somebody who is independent and they're able to do all the different things that you're able to do, um, it really, I think, enhances the problem solving because you're not coming from a place of, I don't know anything about this area. You're actually coming from a place of, experience. uh, And it's oftentimes different experience. And I think that's what really enhances that problem solving. And that's what leads to having a, a better result.
0: And when I reflect back on some of the first keys that we were talking about, you know, believing it's possible, having a vision, working on your mindset um, and having a big goal of what you're aiming for. If you have a partner that's very aligned with these things too, if they have a big goal, if they have a vision of what they want, if they have a, if they've done some partnership work and they have a view of how they're going to show up as a partner and they're going to take responsibility and it's not going to be a blame game boy, you're in a really great position to be able to scale so fast. And so when you're picking your partner, also be looking to see if they kind of uh, achieve some of these scaling keys that we've talked about so that you can go further faster together. Number eight is all about hiring the right who's. So many of you have read Who Not How by Benjamin Hardy. It's a really great book. If you haven't read it, definitely check it out. But basically the idea is that who's will often make the biggest difference. And when we reflect back, oftentimes there is a a who that has helped us make big jumps over time. And so there really is a limit to what you can do on your own. And at a certain point, you're really gonna have to start bringing in who's maybe to be on your team, but also looking for who's like partners
1: yeah I think the assumption is is that I can do this better than anybody else. That's the assumption that a lot of entrepreneurs uh, have when they're just getting started out but but what you'll realize as you're scaling is that you really it's not really about somebody else doing it better. Uh, Oftentimes, actually, they do do it better. But it's actually about having somebody take on some of those lower value activities. So you can focus on the higher value activities. I think that's really the key freeing you up so you can work on the things that will move the needle the most. And one of the things that uh, the book talks about is the bigger your goal, right? If you have this really big, hairy, audacious goal, the more likely you're going to need a who to help you achieve that.
0: Yeah. When a lot of us start out, we're solopreneurs. And when we get to probably 20, 30, 40 units, a lot of us are finding that we're juggling a lot of things. And so people go a couple different ways. They can start outsourcing things in their personal life, which is a really great thing. Outsourcing calendaring, outsourcing laundry and household tasks or outsourcing booking or, um, you know, doctor's appointments or, or things like that. Or you could also go the way of hiring a virtual assistant, for example, who works in your real estate portfolio, who's overseeing the property managers, who's following up on projects, who's going out and sourcing multiple bids and doing that kind of work. And when you find that you're up to, 50, 60, 70 units, you're probably gonna be doing both. And so that's the phase that we're in where you have both an executive assistant who does a lot of our life stuff. And then we also have a virtual assistants who are helping with their day-to-day real estate portfolio and being able to do a lot of the tasks that would take us a lot of time because the highest value task for us to do is always make relationships and find more deals.
1: Yeah, a lot of people ask us uh how do we train a VA or a personal assistant? And w- the first step is identifying all the different tasks that you're doing and what you'll find is that a lot of the tasks you're doing are things that somebody else really should be doing and you you uh and so I think it's helpful to kind of assign a value to it. Is this a high value task? Is this a low value task? And then identify those lower value tasks. Again, these are high value but they're lower value relative to the other things that you could be doing. And so Identify these lower value tasks that you want to offload. And then what I do is we you know we we and what we do is we record a video of ourselves completing the task, maybe use something like Loom, and then you save them in a training board for your VA or your personal assistant. And what's great about that is that if you ever have to let go of somebody, um, training the next person is that much easier because you already have a training board with all the videos and all the tasks that you have identified. Uh, and so it's really quick to onboard them.
0: Yeah, for those of you who don't even know where to start, another place to start is to do the Delegate and Elevate tool, which is an entrepreneur operating system. EOS is what it's called. It's a tool. And it's looking at all the things that you do on an average week or an average month and looking at what you're good at that you like to do versus what you're not good at or what you don't like to do and kind of putting things into four quadrants. And what you can start handing off is those not good at and don't like to do. And that in itself frees up so much energy. Even if you put get some of those tasks off your plate with a VA, it's going to give you so much momentum to be able to do more in your portfolio this week's podcast is sponsored by our course zero to freedom through cash flowing rentals zero to freedom through cash flowing rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cash flowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the waitlist list at semi-retiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page.
1: This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Movement Mortgage. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. We've been working with Dan and his team for over eight years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close the deal. I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at srmd at movement.com to get a free consultation and also let him know that you're part of the semi-retired MD community to get an exclusive discount on your next loan. Now back to the episode.
0: Number nine is about learning how to raise capital. And when we first started out again, Kenji and I wanted to do everything ourselves. We're kind of lone wolves and we didn't learn how to raise capital we didn't have partners and we were just doing it ourselves. One of the things we've learned over time though is how great it can be able to be to raise capital because you can literally go to your agent and say, yeah, I can buy any property, any size, when you have that ability to be able to raise capital because you know, even if you don't have that money in the bank account that you're gonna be able to raise money and if it's a good enough deal. And so that that basically eliminates the piece where you get a really great deal, but you can't buy it and you're struggling with it, you have to let it go. You never should be in the position to do that if you know how to raise capital.
1: Yeah, we've seen so many examples of that. People letting great deals go because they didn't have the money, and 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 that that really is a limiting belief. You know, I don't have enough money to buy a deal is ultimately a limiting belief because if you are able to raise capital and you can find, let's say, a partner uh, maybe who has money, uh, you can overcome this, right? You can you can always find a way to buy a deal.
0: One of the things we've really found valuable in our Empire Builders Pro Group, which is our real estate accelerator year-long program, is teaching all of them to raise capital because a lot of them are starting to do partnerships and then they have that skill of raising capital. And again, they're just completely free and all of them have gone across the country and said to all of their agents in all the different markets, we can buy any deal of any size because we know how to raise capital from other people. So the key then is really to start building an investor list once you've developed the skill of raising capital. And building an investor list of your friends and family, colleagues—you'd be surprised how much that can grow. We have one person in EB Pro who started out the first year and raised a certain amount in the first raise, but then the the second time they did this, it just became exponential because now people knew not only that were they investing in real estate, but they were bringing really good deals to them that they couldn't get anywhere else. And now they had developed the skill set about being able to talk about those deals. And so what you'll find, just like with anything that you're learning new that there will be a snowball effect. So the first couple times you do it, it may be slower, but if you've got an investor list by the third, fourth deal, when you've learned those skills, you're going to be able to go so much faster. And raising is a tool in your tool belt, right? It's something that once you learn how to do it, you're going to have it for your lifetime. It's going to make such a big difference in your scaling your, of your portfolio over time.
1: Yeah. And so many people have a limiting belief about raising money. They have fears about losing their potentially losing their investors' money. Uh, these are legitimate fears. Uh, but at the end of the day, as Leiti said, uh, this is an essential skill. Uh, if you have a really good deal, it's actually the opposite. You're actually bringing them a huge opportunity that they may not have access to otherwise, unless you were bringing them the deal. Also think about capital raising, not just for investments, but it can be for a nonprofit, right? It's just a valuable skill that we feel that is, is really important for any investor to have.
0: We're following to number 10, which is maximizing your tax benefits. So taxes have been an undercurrent this whole time. We've been talking about the ways to scale your portfolio because they are so valuable in being able to scale so much faster. So when we first started out, we used real estate professional status, as many of you know, we had Kenji cut back to half time in medicine so that he could do more hours in real estate. And then we went out and we bought enough properties that we were able to create enough losses, paper losses, not real losses, but paper losses that year to be able to shelter our combined medical income. And we did that for seven years in a row. So you can imagine why what not paying any federal income tax can do for you when you don't do it for seven years that's a lot of savings that then we mentioned in number seven we took and we put back into our real estate portfolio and it really led to this compounding this snowball effect that has made our portfolio grow so much faster in the last couple of years than it did in the initial part the other piece you can use is short-term rental tax loophole we have a lot of articles and we have previous podcasts about this as well, where you take a property and maybe even the first year without coming back in your day job, you're able to shelter your W-2 income or portion of your W-2 income from taxes by materially participating in your short-term rental. And then the other piece we've mentioned as well, but is worth mentioning again, is we rehab a lot of our properties and that those rehabs are another opportunity to be able to create tax losses, to be able to shelter your income if you're active in your real estate portfolio. And again, get that money back and reinvest it into your portfolio.
1: Yeah, I wanted to emphasize that this one is maximize your tax benefits. It's not saying, uh, you know, get a little bit of tax benefit, lower your taxes some. What we did is we sheltered all of our income, right? And you know, if, if tax, taxes are your single biggest expense, we're eliminating our single biggest expense, getting all that money back so we can reinvest it into our portfolio. Again, this is one of the keys to scaling your portfolio is if you are able to maximize your tax benefits for nine years in a row, right? That's gonna create significant wealth for you and you're gonna be able to grow your portfolio that much faster.
0: And one question we often get is bonus depreciation is phasing out you know what does this mean for the taxes is it even worth it i wanted to re remind all of you that real estate itself is tax advantage so even if you don't do real estate professional the short-term rental tax loophole real estate is tax advantage and oftentimes a lot of your if not all of your real estate income is going to be sheltered by from taxes With bonus depreciation phasing out, which it may or may not happen, there's actually a bill looking to bring back 100% bonus depreciation and also to bring it back retroactively. If that doesn't pass and bonus depreciation does phase out from 60% in 2024 down to 40% and then down to 2020. Percent We, Kenji's actually done the math and he looked, and you're still going to get a majority of your depreciation in the first five years of owning a property. So it may be that you're not going to turn over your properties every two to three years. You're not going to 1031, but you're actually maybe going to hold on to a property for four or five years, and then you're going to 1031 exchange. So it may end up slowing down the turn, turnarounds of people with going up to larger and larger properties, But you know what? It may not because people may want to be really taking advantage of the 60% and the 40% and moving faster and buying bigger and bigger properties right now. So it's hard to tell exactly what this is going to do to it. Um, but we wanted to let you know that bonus depreciation, even when it's 40%, it's still going to be very valuable to you if you hold your property for even three to four to five years.
1: Yeah, I actually think that with bonus depreciation being phased out, it's actually going to encourage investors to scale up their portfolios even more. And the reason is, is that if you can buy a bigger property, that just means that there's going to be more depreciation there. Again, even if there's no bonus depreciation, you're still going to get the majority of that depreciation in the first five years. So people are going to be really encouraged to scale up their portfolios. And that's why you know this, this episode is so important, right? To really learn what are the keys to scaling up? Because yeah, sure, you can sit at 40 units, but if you do that, then you're not going to be able to take advantage of the bigger property, the bigger depreciation numbers, and the bigger tax savings.
0: And the bigger efficiency. Bigger properties definitely have bigger efficiency. And I think more and more people are seeing in that community that in our community, it's really great to start out with a duplex or a fourplex and to learn the systems and processes and be able to increase the income and decrease the expenses and do a lot of learning. But ultimately, we see a lot of people, they maybe get the first small pro- couple properties small properties. And then they say to themselves, oh, it's almost as much work to go buy a 20 or 30 unit. Like, why don't I just buy a 20 or 30 unit next? And why don't I bring in a couple partners and maybe we just go buy an 80 unit first. So there's that opportunity for people to be able to scale up very early on. And I think we see more and more people interested in doing that coming into our community. So it's pretty exciting. Well, that finishes up our 10 ways to scaling your rental portfolio quickly. We mentioned several resources during this, including our cash on cash calculators, including articles and podcasts that we've done on short-term rental tax loophole, real estate professional status, and then a number of really good books to read, like 10x is easier than 2x. And Gary Keller's Real Estate Investor Millionaire, and then also Who Not How by Benjamin Hardy. So, lots of really great resources for you guys to take advantage of if you want to continue to learn about scaling and about the mindset you need for scaling. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, Doctors Building Wealth, and leave us a review. We really appreciate it to be able to reach more people. Thanks for joining us. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.